Hello and welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, February 22nd, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Julie Musbeck, filling in for the lovely if you squint hard enough when you look at him, Matt Tamanini. Oh, squint hard enough? <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Oh, oh, that's harsh. I'm totally using that. If you squint hard enough, I'm Broadway yeah, stars tomorrow. James Marino. And I'm the theater throwback studio of Marcel. Wow, squint hard enough. I see. That's how that's going. That was brutal. That was. I, I thought that maybe you'd be in a better mood seeing that we had some great weather here in New York today. Or you know wednesday it's thursday now but for wednesday we had great weather it was too hot i don't like the hot weather was it too darn hot for you it was i like the cold really yes i like the cold and the rain that's my favorite hmm. Interesting. <laughs> how about you daniela i agree i like the cold and the rain yeah yeah wow. we get the rain here in florida but not the cold I can't go to Florida. Oh, I would burn alive. <laughs> and the humidity, my hair would get so big. It'd be like Bellatrix the Strange. It'd be terrible. <laughs> Do you guys know the Guns N' Roses song, November Rain? No. No. Nope. Like okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we better move right into uh, news about Hello, Dolly, where Santina, Santino Fontana is to join Hello, Dolly next month. Yeah, so we're throwing out the big news first. Yesterday, Scott Rudin announced that Tony nominee Santina Fontana will be stepping into the role of Cornelius Hackle in the acclaimed revival of Hello, Dolly! on Broadway. Fontana will be temporarily stepping in to replace Tony winner Gavin Creel, who will be undergoing and recovering from back surgery. Right now, Fontana's first performance will be on Tuesday, March 13th, and no timetable has been given for the end of his run as of yet. In a statement, Gavin Creel, also known as one of the Broadway's nicest humans, of course, said, quote, Santino's an amazing performer. He'll be absolutely wonderful in the part. Now, at you two, what do you think of this? Because surely he has to be on someone's shortlist for a Hello, Dolly! Dreamcast. So um, the thing I thought when I saw this news was, isn't Santino Fontana doing something else? He's already? in like six <laughs> different places right now. It's yeah. amazing. I, he's like the Evo Van Hover of acting, you know? He's just everywhere. But uh, Santino's going to be great in this role. And um, and although we're not able to quite yet review Hello, Dolly, the This Week on Broadway review of Hello, Dolly will be in tomorrow's <laughs> feed. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think that this will be really good. And uh, back surgery, I've been through it a few times. Uh, Gavin Creel might be back in a month. It might be longer than a month. It depends on how uh, how he adjusts to the back surgery after the fact. And and Gavin, take it from me: don't rush, don't come back too quickly. You think you feel great, and then you sneeze, and then it's your back is out again. So. Ooh, yikes! <laughs> <laughs> well, we wish him all the best. He's just he's fantastic in that show. I don't know of anyone who's deserved a Tony more, really. I mean, there are plenty, but I'm just going to say that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Other news uh, that we had in the uh, Wednesday time slot is Paper Mill finds its cast for The Sting. Were they lost? <laughs> You'll have to ask Matt that. He wrote that lovely headline. <laughs> well, squinting. <laughs> Maybe. You never know. 
So in other casting announcements, yes, it's true that yesterday Paper Mill Playhouse revealed the entire cast for the upcoming world premiere of the musical version of the classic film, The Sting. Now, joining the previously announced Harry Connick Jr., which we heard about a week or two ago, will be Actors' Equity President Kate Schindel, In the Heights and Wonderland's Janet DeCall, Cats' Christopher Gurr, Kinky Boots' Jay Harrison Gee, Peter Benson, Tom Hewitt, Richard Klein, and more. So we will have the complete cast list in the show notes at broadwayradio.com if you'd like to see the full team. Now, the new musical, which features a book by Bob Martin and an original score by Mark Holman and Greg Codis with additional material by Connick himself, will begin performances on March 29th in Milburn, New Jersey. Directed by John Rando and choreographed by Warren Carlyle, the show will also include music by Scott Joplin that was featured in the original film. And now this is a Broadway-bound production and is currently scheduled to run out of town through April 29th. So I've already sent out a note to try and get myself in to see this. It's quite a lineup, don't you think? I think so, too. And I think everybody's trying to see this. It's running for only for four weeks at the, the Paper Mill Playhouse. So I'm not sure if they're going to be uh, – if they're not going to – let the normal press in that gets invited to Paper Mill Productions, but we, we haven't, I haven't received my invite yet for this, so we'll have to see if they're just getting all their ducks in a row yet. But definitely want to go, definitely want to go see this. I'm wondering, it's been a long, long time since I've seen the film The Sting, but I'm trying to figure out how they can get Harry Connick to sit down at a piano and sing a song, you know? <laughs> Do you guys know the film at all? Not I at all. Don't no. So there is it. It's really about uh, it. It's really about two two guys who get together and uh, pull off this big huge scam against evil evil people. That way, uh, you don't feel bad for them. Um, and so I'm just trying to think of if we're going to get Harry Connick to sit down and do a song at a piano and figure it out. You know, Harry Connick is the only white guy that I ever wanted to play Cole House. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up in the news, less happy news here in the middle of our show. The Disney theatrical Tom Schumacher accused of inappropriate behavior. Yes, so this is quite a story. The Wall Street Journal posted an article today that lifted the curtain a bit on what goes on at Disney and their theatrical offshoot. Tom Schumacher has been a guiding force at Disney for over 30 years. He's been responsible for shows that include things like The Lion King, Mary Poppins, and Aladdin. Right now, he's a producer on Frozen, which kicks off its Broadway run very, very soon tonight, I believe. According to multiple reports, Schumacher is the latest to be accused of inappropriate conduct in the workplace. So according to former employees, he repeatedly made inappropriate sexual comments about and to colleagues. He discusses his erections and walks around in a bathrobe telling everyone he's naked underneath. We've also got two employees who came forward saying that they left Disney due to Schumacher's conduct. Bruce Williams said Schumacher took a romantic interest in him and left him feeling sexually harassed. Williams reported Schumacher and was told by HR that the matter had been resolved. And then he found himself relocated and his workload was nearly non-existent. Meanwhile, we've got Jane Buchanan, who brought her biracial son into work one day, and Schumacher made a comment on the sexual prowess of black men. Buchanan reported this and other incidents before, and then was dismissed from Disney. She was given severance pay and a non-disclosure, so she's unable to talk about anything that happened while she worked there. Now, this is a very 
complicated issue, obviously, as are all these misconduct reports coming out recently, but this one is especially relevant to Broadway. Not only is Schumacher responsible for some of Broadway's longest-running and most popular shows, he's also currently the elected chairman of the Broadway League. Now, James and Daniela, where do you think this article and these claims will take us? Because while the claims against Schumacher do feel cringeworthy, they almost don't feel shocking enough to hope for any kind of action, not to mention the fact that Disney has this reputation as being sort of impenetrable. I'm cynically inclined to think that until Schumacher stops making money for them, his career is safe. Hmm. Daniela, do you have anything to say about this? I... I unfortunately agree with you. Um, I think absolutely this is uncomfortable and gross, um, but I am afraid that with the power of Disney, not much is going to change, at least right now. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that we're all in agreement here that uh, Tom Schumacher has taken an idea uh, and executed on it at Disney and made it a multi-billion dollar uh, profit center or revenue center for Disney. So I don't think that anything's going to change here unless we get some uh, much higher level uh, type of uh, abuse here. I, uh, I hate that we keep on talking about these different scenarios that, that seem to have been happening all along here. And I'm happy that people are uh, are bringing it to the are bringing it to the forefront. We we heard about this Wall Street Journal story coming for a couple of weeks now, and it seemed like it was going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. We've also heard about another story that's uh, supposedly coming down the pipe from the New York Times, and that's been on and off again for months. Um, I, I hope that all these things cause, uh, come out because sunlight is the best disinfectant, and we have to get... Uh, these type of things out of uh, out of our everyday life. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yep. And one of the other things that I found interesting that the Wall Street Journal mentioned was this idea that the creative industries have a sort of lower standard of professionalism. It's almost like there's that playful atmosphere to it. But having worked in you know TV and film and Broadway and journalism, I have to say that I think that's kind of a crazy claim to make because surely there's a very clear line where something becomes inappropriate as opposed to, you know, playfully dark or iffy or something like that. I think that the people that do not work in the entertainment industry think as though that it's a lesser industry than the industries that they work in. Not, not to right. mention a, mm-hmm. a Wall Street Journal writer, uh, for them to make these statements. Uh, there was uh, an article over at Variety yesterday, the day before, about 92% of the people in the uh, 92% of the people in Hollywood have, have uh, reported that at one point or another they've been sexually harassed uh, on the job. Um, it's just astounding that these that uh, these things have been quiet for so long and that we haven't heard uh, overwhelming stories about this. But hopefully this is the first step to everybody having a more uh, a more fruitful workplace that doesn't have these type of things happening there. Absolutely. All right. What do we have in the show and casting news? 
So in show and casting news, we've got, first of all, Michael Arden will direct Annie at the Hollywood Bowl. Yesterday, the Hollywood Bowl announced its upcoming lineup for the summer, which includes Bernstein's 100 Celebration with Broadway favorites Kristen Chenoweth and Brian Stokes Mitchell. Opening night at the Bowl, starring Diana Ross and the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, conducted by Thomas Wilkins, plus fireworks. A feature on John Williams, celebrating the 40th anniversary of his first appearance at the Bowl. A Grease sing-along, Jennifer Hudson, Randy Newman, the list goes on and on. Now, Annie is this summer's fully staged Broadway musical, again directed by Michael Arden and conducted by Todd Ellison. Annie's book is by Thomas Meehan, music by Charles Strauss, and lyrics by Martin Charnin. Additional members of the creative team and an all-star cast will no doubt be announced at a later date. And next, we've got Ragtime on Ellis Island, which is going to hold a sound workshop for an expanded production. This March, the creative team behind Ragtime on Ellis Island is developing the new use of in-ear monitoring technology in a sound workshop that is meant to explore its potential use for audiences in a fully realized site-specific production. LA-based sound designer Nick Tipp is collaborating with the team behind Ragtime on Ellis Island to develop use of headphone technology to allow for control over the acoustics of the registry room on Ellis Island. The workshop will explore an innovative method of live performance wherein the singers, musicians, and sound effects are live mixed into wireless headphones worn by each audience member. The goal of the workshop is to develop a sensory experience of the piece that is a perfect match for Ellis Island. Now, Ragtime on Ellis Island received a developmental concert in the registry room of Ellis Island on August 8, 2016. The concert featured narration by Brian Stokes Mitchell, Laura Michelle Kelly as Mother, two-time Tony Award nominee Brandon Victor Dixon as Cole House Walker Jr., Emmy Award winner Michael Park as Father, Shana Taub as Emma Goldman, Andy Mantis as Younger Brother, Aisha Jackson as Sarah, and Robert Pickoff as Tate. Casting for this next upcoming workshop has not yet been announced. So the uh, ragtime on, uh, on Ellis Island uh, had definite big sound problems when they had done the original uh, readings of it out there. And I didn't Island. get to go, so I wouldn't know because they were so tight about tickets. They were. They were incredibly tight about tickets, which made me angry. made me very very angry i would love to see this project go farther though just to you know be able to experience that because i thought it just sounded so cool yeah i i absolutely would too i'd love to see this did either of you see the encounter on broadway no No. so that was a thing where I, I felt like it was a train wreck uh, in my review. It was a train wreck, but <laughs> in, interesting in some respects that it was about all about uh, surround sound type of thing. And when you went into the theater and you sat down, each theater seat had a headset there that you put on, and the and the sounds went around you in a in a three sixty fashion. Now I wonder if this is what this ragtime and Ellis. Uh, sound experiment is going to be like as well they're talking about this in-ear technology but i I wonder if it's going to be something along the same lines as they did with the encounter because that aspect of the encounter was very interesting so uh interesting uh so next up in the news reviews are in for the public theater's Kings. As Matt mentioned on yesterday's show, the public theater opened Sarah Burgess's latest premiere, Kings, on Tuesday night. 
This show, directed by Thomas Kale, stars Aya Cash, Gillian Jacobs, Zach Grenier, and more. The show, which just extended through April 1st, centers on an inexperienced politician and a smart young lobbyist. The reviews were good, but not as good as they probably would have liked. Jesse Green of the New York Times wrote, quote, For all the post-2016 idealists rushing to run for office on a platform of changing the system, I have two words of caution. Sidney Millsap. Sydney is a political neophyte hoping to break the stranglehold of entrenched interests that's choking democracy and enabling the kleptocrats. In short, she's a blue state fantasy of a red state politician. Alas, Sydney is no hypocrite. She's willing to humiliate herself, as the party requires, by dunning doors while on enforced fundraising retreats in Vail, but she won't let anyone buy her. I will take their money, she tells voters. I will not do as they say. This paints Sydney and Kings into a self-righteous corner. When donor McDowell threatens to close off the spigots of cash that Sydney needs for re-election, she makes the only choice she, or the play, has left to mount an even unlikelier campaign than the one that got her to Washington in the first place. Whenever it focuses on Sydney's dash through the minefields of democracy, Kings is entertaining and informative, if not surprising theatrically. Its high point, two-thirds of the way through, is a town hall-style debate in which she declaims, in perfectly formed phrases, the kinds of things that many of us have been rehearsing for months in front of our televisions and on Twitter feeds. Kings, you eventually realize, is not really about Sydney anyway. Her story, the only one you care about, basically dribbles away after the debate. Her entire existence within the play seems designed as a placard to announce one thing. When politics neutralizes the ethically excellent, it leaves the field open to everyone else. Now, Sarah Holdren of Vulture was a little more brutal, writing, quote, What makes us think that a play like Sarah Burgess's Kings, now at the public theater under the direction of Thomas I directed Hamilton, maybe you've heard of it, Kale, is necessary. <laughs> Is it the aggressive, literal focus on contemporary politics? Is it the ultra-specialized milieu here, the slick, scummy world of Washington lobbyists? Is it the research-to-death dialogue about obscure but important policy points designed to make liberal audiences feel both complacent, haha, yes, the country is effed, I agree, and a little guilty, gosh, I should really be better informed about carried interests. I'll do that tomorrow. Is it Oscar Eustace's gushing artistic director note in the program crediting Burgess with revealing truths about the systems that shape our entire lives and drawing attention to the fact that the recent tax bill passed by Congress, which again preserves the carried interest loophole, renders the public's production so relevant? Whatever it is, I'm tired of it in my very bones. <laughs> Joe Demenowitz, New York Daily News, says four good actors sink their teeth into juicy roles in Sarah Burgess's King's a smart but familiar story about the unappetizing impact of money on politics. But for all the actors' fine efforts at the public theater where the play runs through April 1st, they're nearly upstaged by a prop, a sense-tickling skillet of fajitas, truly. Now, Matt is taking me with him to see this when he visits New York, and I have to say I was intrigued, but I do understand where these critics are coming from. You know, how many plays about politicians grappling with their morals do we really need? And at this point, the female-led casting almost feels like a ruse to get you in the door. Hmm. That's interesting. Huh. So uh, I'm actually going to see Kings uh, in a couple of weeks as well. So uh, in, uh, why, why is it called Kings? Do we know? That's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. 
All right. So we'll have to report back, and uh, we'll get you and Matt on this week on Broadway to do uh, a review of it after you after Matt comes to town and uh, sees it. Oh, yeah. He's going to have you going for weeks on reviews that he's got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Daniela, what do we have in the theater throwback? All right. So today I have another very short-lived musical to talk about. We are going back to February 21st, 1958, which is when the musical Portofino played its first of only three Broadway performances. Now, a lot of these flop musicals, despite having flopped, have kind of lived on, whether they've gained a cult following or have had some kind of afterlife in regional theater or whatever. Portofino is not one of those musicals. It rose and fell pretty quickly, and no one has touched it since, probably for a good reason, and not since Carrie Ken Mandelbaum claims that many regard it as the worst Broadway musical ever. The worst Broadway musical ever was written by Richard Ney, Louis Belson, Will Irwin, and Sheldon Harnick, and was directed by Carl Jenis. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It looks a lot like genius, which obviously he was not. The plot follows an Italian <laughs> The plot follows an Italian auto racing duke named Nikki, who falls for his Texan rival driver named Kitty. There seemed to be a very strange subplot as well. I honestly don't know what exactly it was, but it involved Nikki's granddaughter who was a witch, a local priest, and the priest's lookalike who was an emissary from the devil. Now, Portofino did have an out-of-town trial in Philadelphia, and unsurprisingly, it wasn't received well. Richard Ney, who was the book writer the book writer as well as the producer, closed the show in Philadelphia and then left it to the cast to decide whether the show would go on to New York or not. They decided that they were going to take a chance on Broadway, uh, which seemed like a bad idea, um, and they opened the show on February 21st, 1958 at the Adelphi Theater. If it wasn't already clear, things did not go well for Portofino in New York. It was already plagued by the poor reception it got in Philadelphia, and unfortunately, New Yorkers had similarly brutal opinions. Brooks Atkinson began his absolutely scathing review with, There is something pathetic about a musical show that is hopeless, specifically about Portofino, which opened at the Adelphi last evening. And he didn't get any nicer, not even a bit throughout their review. He just despised this show. Portofino officially closed the day after its opening, February 22nd, exactly 60 years ago. It played a mere three performances, which the star Helen Gallagher eventually called the longest three performances of her life. And for the director, as well as all of the writers besides Sheldon Harnick, this would be their final Broadway credit. Now, I really hate to end this on such a low note, and when I talk about these flops or these really short-lived shows, I try not to be too painfully negative, but there just isn't really a happy ending to this story. People did not like Portofino. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we could end on a happier note. Uh, Did you guys watch Fergie's National Anthem? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Only once. (laughs) Only once. That's all you needed to do is just see it once, huh? (laughs) It's like the arrangement isn't even the worst part. It's just she does not have the right vocal strength to fill that song. It was rough. (laughs) Daniela, do you think that a year from now we're going to do a theater throwback for Fergie's National Anthem? Oh, man. Does it count as theater? Oh, it was performance art. Okay. It totally was. Okay. Well, so... a year from now, I will absolutely do that. <laughs> All right. So let's get out of here. Julie, take us out. 
All right. Thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Julie Musbeck and on Instagram at Julie K. That's C-A-Y-2-6. And Danielle, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Daniela Parcel and on Instagram at Daniela Parcello Well. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Thursday with us. Matt will be back tomorrow to get us out of the week. We'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.